Teddy told me that in Greek, nostalgia literally means the pain from an old wound. It's a twinge in your heart, far more powerful than memory alone. This device isn't a spaceship. It's a time machine. It goes backwards and forwards. It takes us to a place where we ache to go again. It's not called the wheel. It's called the carousel. It let's us travel the way a child travels. Round and around, and back home again. To a place where we know we are loved. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of A Thing Like That, a podcast about madmen. As usual, I'm one of your hosts, Mike Levito. I'm your other host, Kathleen Levito. And we're here to talk about madmen, hence the name of the podcast. Uh, specifically, we're going to be talking about Season 1, Episode 13, The Wheel. Kathleen, any first thoughts on this episode? It's a sweet episode, kind of. I would say bittersweet. Yeah. I think, in a way, I feel like it's Don Draper's, like, last hope. It was, I feel like there's not really another episode after this that shows, like, a very wholesome, like, needing side or needy or emotionally needy side of Don Draper. Maybe towards the way, way end of the series. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it feels like kind of, like... At the, we'll talk about the ending in a bit, but it feels like kind of an egg gets cracked open. And it's like, from out of that egg... Who's going to go with this metaphor? I don't know where it was going, but we're going to go with it. From out of that egg basically runs any hope that is left for Don of having like a normal, healthy family relationship. And it seems like he didn't even realize that there was that containment. And as soon as he does, it's released... And he can no longer reel it back in. Yeah, it's... We'll talk about, like, what exactly happens in the ending as we get to it, but it makes you wonder, like, if if it ends differently, if it ends the way that, you know, it's supposed to end, is there even a show after yeah. this, right? Is Or does, does Don reach some kind of level of uh, contentment and, and peace? Um, but the show wouldn't run for seven seasons if he did, now would he? So uh, let's, let's find out how he gets there and what exactly happens at the ending with the synopsis. So, uh, we open up at a gathering between Pete and Trudy Campbell and the Vogels, Pete's father-in-law, Pete's in-laws, um, and his father-in-law, Tom... Oh, I forgot about this part. <laughs> ...tries to convince Pete to procreate. Um, Don, later we see Don and Betty arguing about Thanksgiving. Don doesn't want to go all the way down to Pennsylvania or wherever it's his wherever Betty's family is from uh we find out harry's been kicked out of his house because his one night stand of hildy was discovered by his wife he's living in the office 
Um, at the office that day, Cooper tells Don that Rachel Mencken is, is going to be unavailable. She's not going to be on the count anymore. She's on like a cruise to Paris. Um, and hints that he knows something happened between him and her and Don. Um, Francine shows up to the Draper residence crying in the middle of the day and tells Betty about how she found out Carlton had an affair when she had to pay the phone bill and realize that there were all these calls in Manhattan she didn't know about. Uh, after she leaves, Betty sort of goes into Don's office and takes out the phone bill, which is still in the envelope. Um, meanwhile, back at Sterling Cooper, Duck tells everyone at Sterling Cooper to dig up contacts to try and con to try and win contracts. Basically, uh, Peggy and Ken audition women for the relaxer ad, and Peggy likes the young, attractive one. Ken likes the older one because he thinks her voice is better and she's better for the role. But they go with Peggy's choice. Um, Don comes home to find Betty upset about Francine's news. She's just kind of drinking wine and smoking at the table. They talk about that for a little bit. Uh, later the next day, Duck shows Don the Kodak wheel, which is a slide projector. Uh, talks about, you know, the presentation to Kodak, what they're going to do. Uh, the next day in the recording studio, Annie, who's the girl that Peggy and Ken picked, doesn't sound as confident as she looks. Peggy kind of hounds her about that. She runs out crying. She tells him to go comfort her and then call Rita, the older woman who he liked. Um, Don works late at, at Sterling Cooper that night. Uh, he's looking at photos in the shoebox from Adam. He calls the hotel, and the guy at the hotel tells him that Adam hanged himself. So Don gets really drunk. The only way he knows how to do emotional turmoil. <laughs> he passes out in the office, wakes up, finds Harry still staying there, and they kind of talk about the slide projector and childhood. Um... Meanwhile, in Austin, Betty opens up the phone bill and calls the number on it that she doesn't recognize. Turns out it's her psychologist, Dr. Waynes. Um, well, the next day, Betty runs into Glenn in a bank parking lot. They talk about their loneliness. Um, Pete tells them that they want Clearasil, which is a company owned by Vicks, which Tom Bogle works for. Um, Betty talks to her therapist about her family and Don's unfaithfulness, which she still has not been able to confirm. Uh... Then at Sterling Cooper, Don gives the famous carousel pitch about the wheel, which we'll talk about a bit more later. And there's a celebratory toast afterwards where they announce Clearasil will come in before Christmas, and Don suggests Peggy as a writer, much to Pete's chagrin. Don promotes Peggy to junior copywriter, kind of to make a point, and Pete storms out of the office. Uh, Joan introduces Peggy to her new office. Peggy begins to feel ill. She goes to the hospital. The doctor tells her she's pregnant. She doesn't believe it. She collapses in pain. They call for a wheelchair and a psychiatrist. Uh, Pete comes home drunk to find his in-laws, says he has to lay down, Tom jokes about reproducing again. Don comes home, finds Betty and the kids who haven't left yet for Thanksgiving, and says he's gonna go with them, but turns out that's not actually what happened, that was just his fantasy. We snap back to reality, and Don comes home to an empty house where he sits on the floor, depressed. Alright, what is the theme of this episode, Kathleen? Um, family. Yeah. Why so? I mean, we kick it straight off and talk about expanding <laughs> yeah, the family, right? Yeah. And it's made very clear in that one scene that this is the goal, right? Is right? so you don't get married because you love someone and just want to hang out with them all the time. Mm -hmm. You get married because there's the point of expanding your family. Mm -hmm. And that's supposed to be like, the, I think he even says something like that's an important thing. He, I don't know if he gives that speech. He basically, he's basically just kind of like, you're focusing too much on your work. Yeah. You got to focus on growing your family. Yeah. Which is funny because Pete doesn't really seem receptive to that reasoning. No. <laughs> Pete's like, but I am my work. Right, right. Um, and then what other stuff? I mean, we have the whole character. Well, then Francine's, you know, relationship starts to dissolve a little bit. Right, right. And what is really interesting about that scene is she goes to Betty, right? And I, in the beginning, you think she's going to Betty because they're best friends. And 
Betty calls Francine a sister at one point. I don't know if it was in this episode it or is, the episode. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you later find out that Francine went there because she's like, I thought you would know what to do. Right. As if implying that Betty mm-hmm. knows Don is cheating on her. Yeah, yeah. And that's when, you know, the wheels in Betty's mind right, start yeah. turning. Yeah. Francine also floats the idea of poisoning her entire family. Yeah, oh, that was and great. Just completely nuking the whole thing at Thanksgiving. Um, that was good. It's really scary behavior that Betty should have called someone about, <laughs> but, uh, but they didn't do that back <laughs> this then. That's what you talked about, I guess. Mental health is a taboo. Yeah. Um, I forgot that happened. Um, what else? We see uh, Harry alone. Yeah. Because he's been kicked out, and he's at Ken's bachelor pad of an apartment. But he's not really. He's lying. Yeah, he's at the office. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a great scene between Harry and Don. Yeah. <laughs> when he comes out with, like, this, the... Because the, he, like, dropped a cigarette in the trash can. Don's like, are we on fire? <laughs> he's like, uh, no. And Harry's in, like, his underwear and stuff. Yeah. No, yeah. That's good. Um, and then there's the whole carousel pitch. Yeah. Which Don basically sells Kodak on the pitch by showing them all these pictures of his idyllic family. Um, and it, it's so powerful that Harry, who's separated from his family, it is, you know, runs out crying. He can't handle it. And it's really touching on everyone. And it's, you know, obviously the pitch is about, like, nostalgia and things like that. But a lot of the nostalgia they talk about is, like, nostalgia for family. And he specifically says, is, you know, it's about going back to a place where you felt love. And where you're gonna find feel love well ideally in a family and that's kind of um it ties back to like that important thing right and that's interesting because it's kind of a divide between betty and don which is like don didn't really have a family and betty had very sort of like tight-knit one and they they talk about that sort of when they're arguing about thanksgiving betty's like oh what about sally and bobby's childhood memories um she, she talked about, like, how her brother's kids are animals and all that. Um, she asked, you know, why can't you make my family your family? Um, so that that's, like, a, a chief conflict between them. Yeah. I think it's the fact that this is taking place around Thanksgiving, too. Thanksgiving is yeah. the time. Like, it's a time for thankfulness. It's usually mm-hmm. time for thankfulness of family. Um, so there's that underlying yeah. theme as well. And Betty's snooping is, is about trying to... Because she is afraid of what's going to happen to her family, right? Mm-hmm. Um and she almost kind of like fantasizes about it falling apart because she tells Dr. Wayne like, oh, you know, Don, Don, you know, I, my husband was faithful to me and then I feel better. And he kind of like leans in and is like very interested in it. But like, again, she still doesn't know. Yeah. Well, I didn't, it didn't make me think of a funny scenario where it's like, what if she thinks that he's cheating on her with Dr. Wayne? <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think that's what happens. Um, I think also important to acknowledge is that when she calls Dr. Wayne, she doesn't say anything. She just waits to hear yeah. whose voice it is. Um, well, she says, like, hello, who is this? And then she waits. And Dr. Wayne assumes it's some other patient of his, some other mm-hmm. woman who has been calling him for inappropriate reasons. Yeah. So it's like, this is happening everywhere. Yeah. We're like, the 1960s just a time of, like, rampant adultery? I, I guess that's the implication. <laughs> um... Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'd be interested to see statistics on that, actually, because you would think no, because I feel like there was a greater emphasis on nuclear family, but at the same time, maybe the existence of that expectation created more tension. Um, hmm, interesting. Anyway, um, I would say also between Peggy and Ken, there's kind of like sibling-like behavior, right? Um, 
even though Ken is a bit of a cad, he is not quite as evil as Pete. Yeah. Um, and he and Peggy actually seem to get along, and, you know, he's like, ah, he's, he's like teasing her, he's like, ah, it's a shame your voice is so annoying, you could do the ad yourself. He, like, pats her on the head mm-hmm. at one point. Like, there's kind of, like, a, a, a fraternal back and forth there. And... You know, the ad they're, they're recording, it's all about... It's supposed to be from the perspective of a married woman with a family and kind of about how, you know, it... Like, that is sort of, like, Peggy's idea of perfection, right? Like, she's, like, asking, like, are you married? You know, imagine you have this, like, perfect family. So that... There's this idea that, like, you know, family perfection, it's, it's all very important. Um, Pete, of course, gets business through his family. He mm-hmm. kind of... We never actually see him act. Well, he talks about Clarissa in front of his father-in-law, but, you know, he kind of asks him for it. Um, and that that whole exchange between Pete and Don um, is interesting because in the very beginning of the episode, we see Tom tell Pete that he thinks of him as a son. And Pete, Pete literally goes, okay. It's <laughs> <laughs> very kind of like weirded out. Um, but then later, Pete goes to Don and tells him you got clear cell, and I was like, oh, that's like a big deal. And Pete says, it matters to me that you're impressed, which is sort of this, like, searching for fatherly approval mm-hmm. in Don, as opposed to the person who, like, you know, is ostensibly more, should be more of a father figure to him than his boss. And is, like, projecting that. Right, yeah. right. And, of course, like, the added wrinkle of this being a family sort of product is important. Like, Pete's uh, as... You know, I hope this shows that I have a significant investment in the company. Remember, this is the episode after he and Don spar, and, and he essentially tries to get Don fired because Don refuses to promote him. And Don says, well, you do now. Basically kind of like, you are, like, stuck to this because you, you know, the, your father-in-law and all that. Like, it's there, there's no getting out now. Yeah. <laughs> um, Betty talks about family a lot to the doctor, how her mother couldn't cook uh, last year because she was so sick, and about how... Her, her brother her, her brother's kids are very misbehaved and you know there's an interloper in her family now right Aunt Gloria mm-hmm. she's, she's not happy that there's this kind of like replacement mother in the picture and then let's talk about Peggy oh yeah Peggy um yeah well, why don't you talk about Peggy Peggy's pregnant yeah. she's having a child she's like creating a family but out of the you know um the family that everyone else has, you know, mm-hmm. that very like locked down traditional situation. Yeah. She is like creating a family by complete accident and she doesn't even want it. Um, at the thing, one of the last scenes is the nurse bringing her the baby and Peggy won't even look at the baby. She mm-hmm. won't hold it. She won't anything. So there's that like jarring, like absolutely just complete rejection mm-hmm. of it as well. Um, and the fact that she's not even like, I mean, if you didn't know you were pregnant, right. that would be real surprising to yeah. find out you have a child. But then, like, so that, that coming into that situation, not even intending to, where a lot of these other people has been planned out. It's mm-hmm. like, we are married, what, you have to take my family as your family, that whole kind of thing, mm-hmm. where it's just like, holy shit, what just happened? Right, yeah. And then the, there was no, like, intrinsic motherly feeling with her. It was just, like absolute complete rejection she's like still in denial that the baby's hers yeah um yeah and then uh of course we have the sort of ideal versus real ending where the perfect happy one is the one where Don gets to be with his family he sort of like lives up to his role as a family man and they, they drive down to Philadelphia or wherever 
Um, but that's not what happens, and that absence of love and warmth and people is what sort of, like, forces him to sit down and kind of just stare off depressedly as Bob Dylan plays in the background. <laughs> Do we think that if um, Don had gone, what... Do you think that he would have changed? He would be a changed man? Or do you think he would come back and everything would be the same? I think that it would have been the same. Yeah. Because I think he goes there, he has to hang out with his nieces and nephews who they described as animals. He has to deal with Betty being very upset the glory's there. He has to deal with Grandpa Gene, who we'll see in later seasons, doesn't really like him. And I think that, I think that grates on him. Like, I think if he couldn't handle his daughter's birthday party and literally almost killed himself un- instead of bringing the cake back, I, I think that he would have a lot of trouble driving, like, 12 hours or however long and then going to, like, a cacophonous sort of thing. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. I'm, in like, 100% real. <laughs> so maybe there still would be a show. Yeah. But for, like, a little bit, he'd be happier. Yeah. Uh, for, like, maybe an hour of that drive. I feel mm-hmm. like hour two, the kids would start fighting. And he'd be yeah. like, why did I do this? Yeah. Um, anything else on this theme of family? Um, no, it's kind of where I'm at. Okay. Uh, are we ready to move on to our awards? Yeah, let's do it. All right, so our Pete Campbell Memorial Worst of the Week. Maybe Don. Only because he's just like, I'm not coming with you to celebrate Thanksgiving. Yeah, and he's very clear that he doesn't like it. Yeah. That's, that's... because she he says something like. Betty says something like. Betty's like, it seems like you don't even want to go, and he goes, "Was well, I not clear?" About yeah, that? <laughs> it's yeah. like that's just a very harsh thing to it say. It is. Yeah, yeah. That I was gonna say Pete, um, because. He gets real upset when Peggy is like named copywriter, and there's that's kind of like a, I feel like it's kind of like a sibling rivalry mm-hmm. thing too, where it's like oh Peggy's like dad's favorite kind of thing, yeah. um, and it's also like he's upset because like you know this account means so much to him because there's the family connection. Um, he literally says my father he's my father-in-law he's expecting the very best. Um, he comes home real drunk while his in-laws are waiting for him, but he probably doesn't know they're waiting for him. I don't know. Um, So I guess Pete, but I think you're right about Don, where Don's a little more inconsiderate. Yeah. Um, Just that, especially Don being someone who is always very suave mm -hmm. and represents his frustration in very, like, particular ways. Like, when we see that in the episode in the first season where he gets Roger drunk on, like, what what did they drink? Like vodka and clams or whatever. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. With the, the Marti- yeah martinis. Martinis. There we go. That's the and word for us. Oysters, thinking tequila. Yeah, yeah. Like they were not drinking tequila. Yeah. Um, and oysters, not clams. I was just off base. Um, and cheesecake. And cheesecake. And like so, that is how we've seen things like that. Is how we have seen Don express his frustration. Very kind of more calculated but passive. Even when he goes to get the cake at. Um, Sally's birthday party and just never comes back. Things like that. Where in this moment when he just says like, oh, I, I thought I didn't, like, you know, did I not yeah. make it clear that I don't want to go? Mm-hmm. Where that was one of the harsher moments of Dawn yeah. that we've seen. It's kind of like aggressive almost. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I think that, that's a good choice. Um, 
Okay. Roger Sterling Memorial Quote of the Week. I can never remember quotes. I just rely on you. Roger Sterling, not in this episode either. I didn't realize how few of the first season he isn't in. Um, it's Because he's, he's sick at home. And also, I think Roger Sterling had to, like, shoot an arc on Desperate Housewives or something. <laughs> or, not Roger Sterling, John Slattery. Um, but I did get this one quote. It's from the scene when they're talking about growing the Campbell family. And, uh, <laughs> and Pete's father-in-law goes, It's like that song says, Tend your own garden. And Trudy goes, what song is that, Daddy? And he goes, um, I don't know. People say it. It's true. And his wife goes, it is true. And he goes, yeah, tend your own garden. That means, you know, start growing things. <laughs> yeah. Uh, our, so, such a different family than the Campbells, as well as, well, we, we see the Cam- we've seen the Campbells already. Yeah. We um, haven't gotten to know the Campbells. No, no. Boy, will we. Um, they're not as much fun. Anyway. Let's go into foreshadowing? Yeah. Okay. Oh, you could start. Yeah, I just showed you a hand gesture on a, uh, an audio thing. Um, so the big thing is Campbell baby drama. Yeah. This will become a big... Uh, Sticking point between Pete and Trudy. Um, they will have difficulty conceiving. Um, and there's a bit of dramatic irony here because it's like, oh, like, why why are we having difficulty? And they get tested and stuff. And it turns out, you know, Pete's not the problem. And, like, well, we all know that because we know he conceived the child of Peggy unbeknownst to him. And, yeah, it just, it's it's a huge, that becomes, like, a big, big part of the storyline. Like, there, there's a there's an adoption thread. There's, there's this whole thing. Um... And also Peggy's storyline with the kid, too, where that whole bit with the priest played by Colin Hanks. Mm. Um, I don't trust him. <laughs> where, where we get kind of like, oh, is this like Peggy's kid? It isn't. It's, it turns out it's not. But, um, and then it sets up that sort of like towards the end. I think it's the last episode of the second season, the, the Cuban Missile Crisis one. Where, where she admits it when she tells Pete. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's that. Um, we hear Rachel's taking an ocean voyage to Paris. Mrs. Campbell will perish on an ocean voyage in the last oh, season, <laughs> leading to the famous "Not Great Bob." Um, Again, not more Paris too. Paris always comes in. We always yeah. are reminded that yeah, yeah, Paris is kind of like this holy grail for Peggy. Yeah. Um, we get. She really wants to like go to Paris. Like she kind of like makes. She can speak French. No, sorry, she can speak Italian. <laughs> That's Betty. Talk about Peggy wants to go to oh, Paris. Oh, no, yeah, no bad. Betty, we get a lot of Italy for Thanksgiving, yeah. and they end up going I'm, I'm just off base. It's okay. Remember we said it's the Y's? It's the two consonants and the Y's. Yeah, yeah. Peggy and Betty. Um, they talk about, uh, at, at this big meeting they have with all like, the people at Sterling Cooper, um, uh, what's his name? Duck is like, we don't have an automobile, we don't have an airline, we don't have a pharmaceutical. Um, Pursuing an automobile company will become big storylines in a couple different seasons. Um, same thing with the airline. Um, and then pharmaceutical, Ted mentions like a dream of his to line a pharmaceutical, and it's like, that's such a lame-ass dream. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Um, Clear Soul and Vicks will become a bit of a thing. They pop up a lot. Um, this is the beginning of Betty snooping, and uh, she'll eventually will discover the, the shoebox that, that Don hides in his office, mm-hmm. with pictures of him and Adam. 
this is the first allusion to Don's first job at the fur company where he was a copywriter. We'll see a couple of scenes of that, flashbacks in later seasons. Um, the whole idea of Don not having a family, like Gene will end up holding that against him. He says that you can't trust someone with no people. Um, and then Duck turns down the drink when they're all celebrating, sort of indicating that, oh, he has a drinking problem that he's uh, got under control until he doesn't later. Oh, yeah, Duck series. and um, Peggy. Yeah, yeah. There's, like, no foreshadowing to that. Well, because they're, they're talking about her, and Duck's like, who is she exactly? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And they have their affair later seasons. Weird. It is weird. Mm-hmm. A- anything else foreshadowing-wise? That's what I got. Okay. Any final thoughts? I like this episode. It's really good. Yeah. I, I think the, the 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 wheel pitch is the which is not the wheels the carousel pitch is the best pitch, probably. Yeah. It's like that and the the Burger Chef one about the moon landing. Mm. Um, slight spoiler for whatever you heard it. Um, the one thing I will say is that like I know we were like oh family's the theme but a few nostalgia little bits that I picked up um, were when when Duck is telling everybody to, to try and like dredge up business he's like he tells them to flip through old yearbooks to find people who they might know we're in business um the the whole uh the the electricizer relaxicizer campaign is about wanting to feel like a younger woman like we did before um and then when harry and don talk harry talks about his growing up in wisconsin and all the pictures he used to take and yeah, yeah. the idea of like those the caves paintings like the hand like i was here like this like a time pass and all of that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks so much for listening. Uh, I'm Michael Vito. You can find me on Letterboxd at Amerimike, Twitter at Amlovito. I'm Kathleen Lovito. You can find me on Instagram at Rise of the Sun, where I post poetry every day. You can find both of our writings on the Post Rider. Um, you can also find our other podcast at the Real Life Oscar Challenge, which we host with my roommate Lars. You can follow us on Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, iTunes. That's all up to date. It's all great. And uh, I think that's it. All right. Season two coming up. Finally happening. Very exciting. Get to meet some priests and all that good stuff. Don't trust them. So, uh, yeah. Thanks for listening. And... uh, I don't know. Make sure you pay your phone bill on time. (laughs) Tend to your garden. (laughs) (laughs) Make things grow.